0: Because the the deeper orientation requires, requires that the sacrum move and the lumbar spine moves. Good morning, happy Monday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, Mm. strong Monday. Coming off of of a cool day yesterday. So yesterday was mother's day. My mom is 88. We had the entire family uh, together for the first time, I think, in, in over a year. So that was kind of cool and, and good for her. So I, I hope um, you you had the opportunity to appreciate your your mom. Um, little housekeeping. Uh, IFASTU Q&A from last week is posted for those of you who are IFAST University members. If you're not a member, please go to ifastuniversity.com and get yourself signed up for that. Um, let's dig right into today's Q&A. Today's Q&A is with Jordan. Jordan is a regular on the Thursday morning, 6 a.m. Thursday morning coffee and coaches conference calls. He's also a physical therapy student. And so he had a really good question in regards to some of the the narrow ISA foundational archetype representations. So so gaining some clarity um, with that. We also kind of led into how we may influence some of the early and late representations of, of external rotation. And we made reference to to actually one of the squat activities that we used to sort of recapture that. so again, adding clarity to the to the archetype and then how we're going to move into those early and late representations so very cool if you still have questions about those concepts this is going to be a great call for you if you would like to participate in a 15 minute uh, q a um, with yours truly um, please go to ask bill at gmail.com ask at gmail.com put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so i don't delete it and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience everybody have an outstanding monday and i'll see you tomorrow We are recording. Timer has started. Jordan, what is your question?
1: Um, So I think I've been getting so caught up in wide ISAs just because I've worked with athletes. And I think it just so happens we've been talking a lot about wide ISA people, I think. And so I've just been focusing on that. And I was going back through some old stuff and I was just switching my gear to like narrow ISAs, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot with like Zach talking about his ACL patients and whatnot. And I had to re-go through that. And yep. I just wanted to run it by you. My first question is for your narrow ISAs, yep. the initial presentation is gonna be lower posterior compartment is compressed, correct?
0: Okay, so, so let's, let's clarify this because I think there is some confusion in, in, in this regard. So we have to look at, we have to look at the, the shape. All right. So when we look look at an inhaled representation of the pelvis, that's what we're talking about. So we're talking about a counter nutated representation, but let's not confuse this with someone that has a superficial compressive strategy in the posterior lower aspect of the pelvis, because that's not the same thing. So the diaphragm shape, okay, as, as you breathe in, has expansion in the anterior aspect of the, of the outlet. Okay, so the relative position uh, posteriorly is is not expanded. So rather than saying compressed, it is, it is. But let's just say that it's not expanded under those circumstances because we want to differentiate between a posterior lower compressive strategy, which is superficial relative to this, this, and we could call it a normal inhaled representation of the pelvis first and foremost. So that's where we're starting from when we're talking about the the foundational representation of the narrow isa archetype does that make sense yeah okay so 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 as long as you're clear on that because essentially what it is it's the position just doesn't allow that area to expand as you breathe in so we get an anterior expansion on that that um that inhalation or actually in the exhaled compensatory strategy that starts this whole process of the narrow ISAs behaviors from that point forward is that anterior aspect is where that expansion persists. So even on the exhale, they still have the anterior expansion.
1: Okay. That, okay. And so then the domino effect of what will happen with their ADLs and their training is yep. will typically follow that superficial musculature pattern.
0: Absolutely. Of, okay. now, but understand that understand that the sequence of events is a little bit different because because with the with your wide ISAs their first their first um, response to the compensatory strategy in regards to breathing is that they're going to get pushed backwards so their their response is to push back forward whereas with your narrow ISAs because they they trap air anteriorly the expansion is forward so they fall forward first so their first their first superficial compensatory strategy is going to be to push back so that's the differentiator between the two and then of course then you've got this sort of ping pong effect of of anterior to posterior compressive strategies to maintain center of gravity and then whatever resultant wherever they are in space under those circumstances that determines what we end up measuring or observing during movement
1: okay that makes sense because you lose that internal rotation uh initially i guess i don't know relatively first i guess
0: so so when as soon as they compress anteriorly yes you're going to start you're going to start to lose you're going to start to lose the the internal rotation because i still have posterior expansion under those circumstances in fact i'm kind of forcing it under those circumstances where i'm pushing from the front i have expansion posteriorly that maintains my er representation but i'm losing irs under the circumstance
1: okay and then this will this is perfect leading way so that then what will follow that is once they're pushed back you talk they'll do some sort of ping pong to counter that so that's when you'll start to see that dumping that anterior orientation right
0: right so 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 think about the uh, the the initial counter nutated representation so i should have i should have that expansion um, at the base of the of the sacrum, which would bring the lumbar spine with it, if we're just talking about the pelvis, or I would have that expansion where I where I would see dorsal rostral expansion under those circumstances. But then, as the superficial strategies are are applied, and I start to see that change in orientation, that's where I'm going to start to see the anterior orientation show up in in a narrow, because they 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 get it too. They just again, it's just that the sequence is a little bit different.
1: Okay. I think that was what was tripping me up. Now, I think what was really confusing me, I've, I guess it'll be different in terms of when you sequence certain exercises, but I saw some you did like with a banded around the knees, like your classic, like uh-huh.
0: Ex- uh-huh.
1: right yeah. through the excursion, but you've also done a squat or like a hook line with a ball in between the knees. I get the hook line one where you're opening the posterior lower, yep. the band around the knees though, through the squat. I'm a little bit confused. Can you clarify that?
0: Uh-huh. So you have to think about where we are in space because they're not in the same place. So when I'm in hook lying and you, and you look at, at the, the, the amount of hip bending that you have
1: mm-hmm.
0: totally different from the squat, okay. so what we're, what we're doing with the, with the band in the, in the deep squat. So as, as I gain depth and if I have the anterior orientation, all that musculature above the trochanter is going to be biased towards internal rotation. OK, so if I'm trying to improve the descent, so I'm trying to increase the, the depth of my squat to capture that early representation, I have to eliminate the influence of that internal rotation. Otherwise, I don't I won't I won't capture the depth that I want and I won't get the diaphragm position that I want. So by by fixing the femurs, so I'm I'm not pushing out against the the resistance, I'm holding my position against the resistance. What that does is it, it's an it's an ER force, which means that as I as I descend and that anti-orientation becomes this this influence of IR, if I'm if I'm resisting, then I reduce the the IR influence. So it's that musculature okay, is less likely to produce the internal rotation at that point. And then that allows me to eccentrically orient and descend. So I'm going to capture, so the musculature that's pushing me forward, compressing the base of the, of the, uh, of the sacrum will, will release its concentric orientation, right? Because I've got the ER force, Okay. So it's going to allow the sacrum to tilt backwards in the depth of the squat. So it can actually capture the early representation, of the deep squat.
1: So, so basically you're, you're not necessarily creating space. You're maintaining space for that internal rotation to kind of,
0: uh, if, if I am compressing the base of the sacrum forward, as I descend into the deepest part of a squat, there is no there is no way for me to to descend that diaphragm to allow that to occur, okay? Because of the anti orientation, it just can't happen. So I have to have I have to I have to reduce the concentric orientation of the of that ir iring musculature,
2: okay? okay.
0: So the, the band creates an er demand. To be maintained throughout, so it allows the sacrum to to counter nutate at the bottom of the deep squat. That yeah. makes it's, yeah. Now it? I get it. Now it's sneaky. It's really sneaky because because traditionally what people have done is they say, oh, you need to you need to to push out and and push more. Eye. It's like yeah, I get that, I get that. But what I'm going to end up doing though is I'm going to create I'm going to create a late propulsive strategy under the certain like if I actively ER at the hip, right. I'm going to push outward to create that ER space out there, but that's going to push, uh, the, 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 uh, pelvis forward. And that becomes a late propulsive strategy. Why don't I want, I got late at the top of the squat. I want, I want early at the bottom of the squat. Right. So I, so I, if I can't push out because again, that's, that's propelling me forward. I need to create the delay strategy at the bottom. So I have to have expansion at the base of the sacrum, right? I have to be able to yield under those circumstances. And if I can't do that, then, then I, again, I don't descend into, into the, the squat in a early representation. Cause that's my goal with the band. Yeah. you see the difference?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly um, and then my next question in relation to this, when I think of like deep squat, I'm th- my initial thought was like heel's elevated, right, mm-hmm. but I know you've talked about for those narrows, like you got to be careful because I guess that you mentioned like those the hiding the hundred dollar bill yep. um, can, can you go over that because I feel like with the band, if you combine that wouldn't that help with the heels elevated or is it going to be counterintuitive?
0: Okay. So, so let's be very, very clear on what the goal is. So, so is the goal to acquire best depth, which would be the early representation of of the pelvis in the deep squat. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's start with the foot representation first. So we're very, very clear on what we mean by a heels elevated representation. So what I want to have is I want to have the foot on the, the, the foot on the, on the platform, if you will. All right. So it's one platform, because if I, if I just have the heel elevated and I have have the toes extended, I put myself in a late representation, which means that I won't get the yielding action that I want in the bottom of the squat. So that's step, step number one. Okay. Um, clarify me for, for the second half of the question now. Um,
1: I was thinking for like, you were talking about using a band around the knees to help them get deeper. Yep. Um, but then you've also talked about when you like combining those two exercises. However, I think you explained in the past that you get that like hiding the hundred dollar bill example.
0: Right, so got, okay, so you got you got to be you got to be careful with this, okay? Because um, what what some folks will do when when you're when you're cueing pelvic position. As they're descending into the squat what some people will do is is because they're at the top and that is a that is a later representation in, in regard to pelvic orientation so the foot's going to bias us towards the early but i can still create that posterior lower compressive strategy as they're posteriorly orienting. So if I have somebody that's anteriorly oriented and you're cueing posterior orientation, you got to be very very careful that that they're not closing that that posterior outlet actively which pushes them forward into that late representation because if they hang on to that at the bottom of the squat there's no way that they're going to be able to sit down. And so, again, that might require you to do like the hook lying activity first, like we talked about before, where I have to be able to cue them out of that posterior lower concentric orientation. And so so the way that you'll know that you've got it, that you've alleviated that is I'm going to recapture my early range hip flexion. I'm going to recapture my straight leg raise and I'm going to pick up some internal rotation um, at at that traditional 90 degrees of, of where, where we test our ER and IR at 90 degrees of traditional hip flexion. So if I pick up and, and you won't get necessarily get full internal rotation. So again, we're looking for an early representation, which will not have full internal rotation, but you will have a measure of it. So for instance, if we were looking at Let's just say that it was 40 degrees of traditional IR would be would considered the average. You might have 20, and then you know you've got enough to capture that early representation. You follow? Yeah. Okay, cool. So so your strat, your understanding of the strategy um, in, in, for that early representation in hook line, I think is on point. I think that the clarity then is just when you're trying to capture that deeper, deeper orientation. Because the, the deeper orientation requires requires that the sacrum move and the lumbar spine moves. Okay, when you have the earlier representation where I have ilium forward and still a sacral counter nutation that's that's that late representation where I'm pushing the base of the sacrum right forward. Okay, that's not the same. That's not the same as capturing that deep orientation. Okay. One's late up at the top at the squat and early down at the bottom. Okay.
1: You see it? Yeah. That that clarifies it a lot. Thank
0: you. Awesome. Any other questions?
1: I got one more. Is that okay?
0: Uh, we got time. Go.
1: Okay. So differentiating. So cable chops, like I've been playing around and I love that. And I always think of that for like wide ISAs or unloading uh-huh. them, right. Uh-huh. Um, for expansion and a little bit of a little bit of rotation um right. but like you used it in a narrow yeah um, absolutely what's the thought process is it the same is the goal different or the so, same
0: so goal? don't so okay so so the, they're not going to be the same okay um wh- it looks like the same on the outside but but think about foot orientation and then and then helical angle that you're going to be performing the chops on okay so for a narrow representation they have a steeper helical angle so your, your foot orientation is going to be different. The angle of pull is going to be different, but, but we're, we're using it to, to, to capture um, in both cases, we're going to try to capture the early representation. So so again, it's like I'm, what I'm using that for is not, is not the archetype per se, it is to capture the early representation of propulsion because both both archetypes can have that limitation. So I'm using the exercise to capture that. But now think about how you would orient it a little bit differently, where with the wide representation, I might have a, a foot spacing that looks like that. And for the narrow, I might look like that, right? Because it's gonna be a steeper helical angle. And then I have, a, I have a cable now that I have to create the representation of. It's like, what angle am I gonna pull on? So for my wide ISA, my angle might be a little bit flatter. And for my narrow ISA, it might be a little bit steeper. So yes, it's the same exercise by name, but not the same representation in the execution. Do you see the difference? Yeah. There you go. So again, it's like, what am I trying to, to do from an intention standpoint is I need early representation. Then I consider the archetype as to, okay, how do I execute this same exercise for two different? So so I can literally write. So, so if I have a group of athletes, right, that I'm all that, like, just say you got five guys that you're trying to capture early, early propulsive strategy, right? Okay. And three of them are wides, two of them are narrow. I write the same program, but the execution is different. It's like, it's like for, for these two guys, I'm going to, I'm going to use the steeper angle, shorter stagger. You see, you see where we're going with this? Yeah. Cause I got, I got, they, they, they have the ability to produce a tighter turn or my wide guys are doing this, this really flat, you know, kind of they just don't have, they don't have the rotation available to them. So I have to use the flatter angles.
1: That makes programming a little bit easier for sure.
0: Well, it does because, because again, it's like it's like the understanding of, of number one, what is represented, number two, what is the intention. And then then you can fall back on your archetypes and you say, Oh, so so when I pick this exercise, I just need to consider how this is executed. Because the minute I put I put a wide guy on too steep of an angle, maybe you get a, a favorable response, but maybe it's not as good as it could have been. Right. So we're talking it, we're talking about refining. How you're executing this stuff because we can be so much better, um, you know, it, it, as far as achieving the the desired outcome.
1: Okay. Absolutely, for sure. All right, man. Thank you. I great. really appreciate it. Great
0: questions. Great questions because I because I, I don't think that that you're the only one that that has these questions, right? Yeah. So so again, I appreciate you uh, very much for for doing this.
1: I appreciate you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, man.
0: You have a great weekend. Yes, yeah, See right. you. Too. See Bye. You Number one, this is a turning problem, right? So we know that there's turns that are that are creating everything that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. So there's areas that you're gonna see that are expanded, and you're gonna see areas that are compressed, literally based on the on the shape of, of the thorax. The rule will still apply, is that is that you're going to see this expressed in the extremity measures. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Okay. Uh, quick housekeeping. So I, I just announced not too long ago the July intensive dates. I believe it was July 22nd through the 25th. Um, I, I will be opening up applications soon. I got to get the the current crop of, of folks that are coming to the June intensive. We got to get through another phase of prep, and then I'll be able to announce the uh, the applications for that. So be looking for that. Um, they're in a really cool phase right now. They're going through where they're, where they're posting representations of their of their current model so they can identify their processes. Um, if you're interested, there's a YouTube video where I talk about this on my YouTube channel. So please go there and subscribe to that. Okay, uh, today's Q&A is with Adam. Adam is an intensive alum, uh, strength coach out west. And uh, he's dealing with a, an athlete that's got a, a little bit of a special problem in regards to some scoliosis. Um, the thing we want to walk away when we're talk- dealing with scoliosis is the fact that because movement is always based on shape change, the rules really don't change. What we have is a change in a little bit of the constraint, um, but but we can still use extremity measures as as our KPIs. We can still use that to to drive our thought processes. So so again, we're presented with a little bit different um, concept in regards to the initial conditions, but but the rules don't change. And so we talked through that with with Adam. This is a really, really good Q&A, especially if you're you're dealing with some athletes that that do um, have to manage their scoliosis. Um, If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, and we will arrange a consultation at our mutual convenience. Just don't forget to put 15-minute consult in the subject line so I do not delete it. Have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. All right, we are recording and timer has started. Adam, intensive alum,
3: yes, sir. All How are right. you doing?
0: I'm great. Fire away.
3: Um, so I don't know if you remember the email I sent you.
0: There was something about scoliosis, right? Yeah,
3: it's. I mean, I've never like being in the athletic space dealt with it to this severity. I don't. I mean, she's obviously able to play and all of that without too many issues. So. Yep. It's obviously not super severe, um, but it's very, like, apparent just even to the naked eye, the okay. untrained. Yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of pictures and videos. I don't know if that if that's
0: well. Honest. Talk me through it first, and then and let's see what we need here. So,
3: okay. Um. So, I mean, to this point, like, I feel like we've managed it like fairly well. There was only one period. She's a she was a freshman last year. There's probably like a three week period where she had to be out before the season started just because I was probably negligible on the front end when she first came in and I had her do all the activities in the weight room that everyone else was doing. It was, it was lighter, but, um, you know, she was trap barring, she was benching, all that stuff. And then, and very, and also just that with the, the spike in you know, uh, practice time and all of that stuff. Um, she ran into like, like just really like debilitating pinching in kind of her thoracic spine, like under her scap basically to where it was even uncomfortable to breathe. And both her scaps wing like immensely, like it's, it's pretty wild. But, um I've, we've been, I told her that she needs to come see me every single day. So we've been working six days a week and we have like five, um, breathing drills that we've done just continuously. Okay. And there's pretty decent before and after effects. Um, okay. That's
0: good. So, yeah. so, so you're affecting a change. And I think one of the key elements here, uh, not to cut you off, but, but one of the key elements that you stated at the very beginning was that you've been managing it. And I think that's important to understand that that's, that's what this is going to be.
3: Absolutely.
0: Right. So, so you're going to be, you, you just need to figure out the best way to manage it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so let's, let's, let's really define this. Let's narrow this down. Okay? okay. What, what is the biggest concern or biggest problem that you have with, with this athlete right now? My own understanding of the issue. Um, okay. okay. So where's, where's the impasse? Because, you're obviously being successful to to some measurable degree because you're seeing the difference in the before and the after. Okay. So, so what led you to do the things that you're doing now?
3: The most foundational concepts that obviously were covered at the intensive, but like the things that I struggle with are specifics, like right to left, like, should we be doing one side more than the other kind of all of that stuff? And I don't think anything we're doing is hurting her, you know, like could. Could. Yeah, but (laughs) that's all. (laughs) Um but I would I'd like to know like if I should be more aggressive on one side versus you know, that kind of stuff. Like okay Okay. yeah, the deep understanding.
0: Yep. All right. Couple of things. So so number one, you you also stated that she's got some obvious um, things going on. All right. So, and you mentioned the, the scapulae thing, right? Yeah. So number one, this is a turning problem, right? So we know that there's turns that are, that are creating everything that you're seeing.
2: Right. So there's
0: areas that you're going to see that are expanded, and you're going to see areas that are compressed, literally based on the, on the shape of, of the thorax. The rule will still apply is thats is that you're going to see this expressed in the extremity measures, Okay. So you can still follow that because the extremity measures are based on shape, okay? And so that's, that's a convenient um, aspect of, of the model is that, is that, okay, I just need to identify what I'm looking at, where the compressive strategies are and where the expansions are. Where the limitation may present itself then is where she's not able to change enough. And there's going to be limitations here under these circumstances, and we have to understand that, correct? Okay. Okay. So when, when you are successful and you make you make a, a change. So you have some sort of key performance indicator that you're following, I'm assuming you got some range of motion measure that, yeah. that is telling you when, when you're successful. Okay. Basically
3: a toe touch because she can't she struggles to touch her toes before and then she can touch them with these after.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, so like I said, once again, you've got a measurement that, that is telling you that you're successful. You're doing you're doing good stuff, now it's a matter of what else can I do that reinforces that? So, so when you have a favorable outcome, you've done something successfully, what else can you do that reinforces that change that may allow you to extend the duration of, of the change, um, allow her to, to self-manage it, to a greater degree. So she's gotta, so you gotta test, test, retest. So, so that's useful as well. Um, but again, you have to start looking and say, okay, what, what do I think it was that was driving this measure of success? Hmm. And then how do I reinforce that? So now it's a matter of selecting activities. Number one is you eliminate interference as much as you can, knowing full well that there's gonna be certain things that, that she's going to do as an athlete that will probably create interference. That's why she kind of keeps going back to these strategies, right? So let's think about this for just a second. So when you say winging scapula, what we got is we got a thorax that's pushing forward, okay? That forward is force down into the ground. So that's how she produces force into the ground. And that might be the only way that she can do this under these circumstances as an athlete, which is why it keeps showing up. Your job then becomes management, right? Let's make sure that you can recapture some traditional relative motion. So now maybe you're looking at hip range of motion. You're looking at her ability to turn, right? And and that's demonstrative of her ability to reproduce the expansion where she would typically use that strategy for performance. Because we know that on every level, every athlete, as they perform, is going to move towards what we would consider a compensatory strategy under most circumstances, because they have to produce high force. They have to produce high velocity. The only way you're going to do that is by by moving body parts together, not with the relative motions. So maybe your management strategy becomes, okay, let's look at this from a performance kind of a thing. I know what you're gonna try to do here. And then the rest of the time, we're trying to recapture the relative motions as the management strategy, right? Yeah. So so if we're looking at representation, so anytime you see like an external rotation or a flexion, Okay, those are all representative of of expansive strategies, whenever Mm -hmm. the internal rotation or the extension, you know that you've got a compressive strategy. And so um, some of this is going to be observation, some of this is going to be direct measurement, if you can do that. And you say, okay, here's the typical representation that we have. All right, now, if she's dealing with pain-related issues under the, many of those circumstances, there's gonna be at one of the extreme ends. So it's gonna be an extreme expansion, which is high tension, or it's gonna be extreme compression, which is where she's closing off the space, right? So when, um, if you're looking at the scapula-based stuff where she's, she's having that discomfort, is she pushed forward or is she expanding into that space? And, okay. and that's your call, right, yeah. Yeah. okay? And so that might be where you start to reestablish. Oh, okay. I need to get her to turn in that direction to create the expansion because what she's doing with that scap, and this is pretty common. You'll see like the, almost the inferior angle of the scapula. When you have somebody that's that's scoliotic is that it's almost like it's pushing down on a a shelf of a rib. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So, so now you got an idea. It's like, Oh, we got to move that back. Okay. So that's, So that's a delay strategy on that side. That's why I need to drive expansion. So that's a turn in that direction. So when we talk about propulsive phases, she's probably got to capture an earlier propulsive strategy. Okay. Let me, let me also offer another piece of advice. People get a little carried away with the spine in regards to scoliosis. You get the same turns in her pelvis and you get the same turns in the lower extremity. And I know, you know this, okay, but I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I appreciate that. Well, because think about this. It's like you get the you get the you get the strategy addressed through the axial skeleton and then you forget about the lower extremity. And guess what happens? She's gonna go right back into right. her arms. And then again, she's probably gonna do that during performance, and that's okay. We kind of understand that. But again, if I'm trying to teach her how to manage this thing when she's outside of the performance realm, I still have to teach her how to capture a foot position. I still have to keep teacher how to capture the knee position and the hip orientation, all that stuff. I got to put all of that together because yeah. if I, if I, if I ignore one piece, um, then I don't have a big enough effect, right? I get this local change and I, I get the change. My KPI looks better. And then she just takes three steps away from me and it's gone. Right. Yeah. So putting all of those pieces in line, because I, I think, I, like I said, I think you've got a pretty good understanding of what you're doing here, right? But, but you know, like a couple of, of, of uh, things to just keep in mind. It's like, look don't look at her as a, as a spine and a, and a thorax with the scoliosis. Look at mm-hmm. her as a human being with all of the turns. That's a big deal. And then say, okay, what am I willing to let her have access to because I don't want to steal performance from her. She's obviously right. a very good at she's obviously a very good athlete if she if she can manage this and play. Right. I just need to give her comfort the rest of the time. Okay. Yeah. What yeah. else can I ask for you, young man? I know these are tough. These are I think these are tough because they look different. You know? What do you mean? Well, they like visually, like you see things and you go, man, I don't know. But the reality is, is I think you do know, it's just a matter of saying, okay, what's the rule. Okay. Expansion versus compression. I've got two options. Where is she biased? Where can I make a change? Where can I, where can I intervene? And then just try to be as consistent as you can and then eliminate interference. Right. And then enhance what you can enhance.
3: Okay. So eliminate interference Um, real quick. I I know you got to go probably. Yep. Um, Like, the, another thing I struggle with is if she's doing, let's say, very low threshold activities that still might cause discomfort, let's say a bilateral squat, she still feels something in her knee. Like, is that something I know this is so context specific, but in talking about the general rule of thumb and interference and all that stuff, like, hey, breathe through that, like, we need to work through this discomfort versus like, okay, I'm just going to stay away
2: from it.
0: I'm, I'm not a big fan of working through discomfort. It, it, and again, this, this it, like most of us have been athletes and we, we kind of recognize the fact that, oh yeah, we're always going to feel something that's uncomfortable and we kind of yeah. get used to it. And then we want to, tra- we don't want to transfer that attitude t- to a situation where we're trying to recapture things. Um, Cause that, that again, just when it makes us better at feeling crappy and then we're potentially, you know, uh, affecting one of the constraints, which we don't want that kind of a change. Yeah. So I would encourage you not to do that, but um, think, think about something here for a second. We have a turning situation, right? So she's, she's got a series of turns that affect her ability to move in certain directions at certain times. So if you can identify her, her typical orientation, then maybe it's something like, okay, if I would put her in a symmetrical position, she can't turn enough to offset some of the, her, her genetically represented turns right? So maybe her, her bilateral squat becomes a staggered stance, right? Because it induces a little bit more turning capability for her. And now I don't have that problem anymore.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like I said, and then knowing full well, that performance is probably going to push her in a certain direction where she has been successful. And then you're just managing. So again, I I, I think, like I said, I, I in fact, I know, you, I know you kind of got this one. It's just a matter of, of, trusting your judgments and then recognizing the fact that, okay, she's not, I can't treat her like I do somebody that doesn't have this strong representation,
3: yeah.
0: right? And so maybe she never gets into the symmetrical position. Maybe she doesn't ever get to do a barbell RDL like everybody else does, nice. right? you know what I mean? Because that's just not her, one, it's not it's not in her wheelhouse. It's not her superpower. It doesn't help her, right? And it only pushes her towards the, the direction that, all of her performance is probably going to push her towards. Mm-hmm. And then your job is not, is not to try to in, in necessarily enhance a superpower. It is to help her manage her superpowers.
3: That's helpful. Yeah. Cause like, obviously as the ego strength coach, I want her to be able to do what everyone else is doing and get after it and stuff like that. But that's understood. just not understood. she's
0: just, it, it, she's just, you know, she, She's not that different, right? She's just different enough.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, I don't I don't want you to stick with your rules, stick with your compression and expansion rules, right? Use your use your key KPIs to to guide you, right? Teach her how to how to sorry. Teach her how to understand this. Come on, here we go. Teach her how to understand this. Yeah. You know, and that way she doesn't want. You don't want her to feel unusual, right? Because everybody else is doing this activity, she's going to have to modify it to this degree. Yeah. You know, and technically speaking, you could do that with any any group of athletes that you work with, right?
3: Yeah. All right.
0: Did, did, did we help?
3: Yeah, it's it's good uh, clarity for for thought. Yeah.
0: Like I said, I I think I I think you're on it. Yeah. I, I, Trust trust your judgment, because I think you're already on you're you're already on track. It's just a couple of things that like I said, just pay attention to a couple of things that that either might be interference or um that you just need to understand it as management. Okay. Okay.
3: Happy birthday uh coming up.
0: Oh, well, thank you. It's 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 that well, you're like way early, like um like a month, but Is I it's appreciate- just month.
3: It's just it's your birthday month. Uh
0: it's it's May. It's actually in May. It's at the end of May.
3: Today's May first.
0: Today's May first. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, by golly, it is. Okay. So the celebration to... <laughs> All right. I'll take the month then. There you go. All right, brother. Good right, to see thanks you. Thanks so much,
3: Bill. Yeah, great to see you.
0: Have a great day. See you later. Bye. Every compressive strategy either reorients or changes shape or has some other influence that produces an outcome. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have Neural Coffee in hand, and it is perfect. All right. got to cut to the chase here. It is Wednesday. Um, got some stuff to, to discuss first. Uh, the Intensive 12 folks are, are still working hard on their, on their prep work, but I wanted to give you a heads up that probably within the next week or so we'll, we'll throw up the applications for the Intensive 13 because those dates have been selected. Um, And I also got word that I got a special guest coming. Um, So I'm pretty excited about that. Somebody I haven't seen in a really, really long time that um, will be an outstanding participant um, in the intensive. Um, It's Wednesday, tomorrow's Thursday, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Um, Please, please join us. The groups have been fabulous. The questions have been outstanding. I'm loving these calls. Um, so, and you get to see little segments of it, but, but r- literally we're doing like two hours at a time um, of, of uh, Q&A. So it's been terrific. Um, that reminds me, today's Q&A. Uh, this comes from, I hope I'm saying this correctly, Las Rashid. Um, and his question is, I'm a bit confused still on what is meant when you talk about compressive strategies. How does it manifest, present itself symptom-wise other than loss of joint range of motion, such as internal rotation or external rotation? Um, If someone's a narrow ISA has posterior lower compressive strategy, does that mean that they would feel tension in those muscles below the trochanter or does it just manifest itself as a restriction in movement and not cause the tissues themselves to feel tense or painful? So, we have talked about each one of these elements before, so here's, here's what I did. I went back into the YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. Um, and I pulled off some stuff here. So we talked, got some theoretical stuff in regards to the compression expansion so you understand why those two strategies are, are basically the only way that we can move through space. Um, secondly, um, I pulled... Uh, a, a video in regards to describing what muscle tightness is, um, which is which is useful and important. And then I threw up some narrow end game strategies since you did bring up the the narrows with the posterior lower compression. So a nice little review there um, for you and for all of you. I hope you find it useful. Um, If you have a question, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com. If you would like a 15-minute consultation, go to askbillhartman at gmail.com. I put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I do not delete it. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, Thursday, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Have a great day. Everything inside of you is going to be based on compression expansion. So the peristalsis that moves the, the lunge through your gut is, is, is compression expansion. If we look at something local like muscular contraction, so if a concentrically oriented muscle, there's actually a higher pressure um, within that muscle. So the intramuscular pressure is higher. As we reduce the concentric orientation, we have a reduction um, in, in pressure there as well. So again, we always have compression expansion. Um, taking place somewhere at some time. It all depends on where we're looking. We're also going to see this as, as global strategies. So every movement that you have is going to have some, some peak moment of, of force output, which would be representative of the, the compressive strategy. To what degree is then dependent on, on what you're doing. You know, if you're drinking a glass of water, it's not gonna be your maximum um, peak force that you could, you could produce, but there is going to be a peak in that moment in time. If I'm doing a vertical jump, it's a little bit easier to, to see that representation of, of, of that peak moment. Um, so again so every sporting movement is going to have this this expansion to compression to expansion representation if we're talking about a high jump the moment that the high jumper plants his foot into the ground there's going to be a a peak resultant and then as he leaves the ground he's going to going to re-expand sprinter same thing hitting the ground compression to expansion if i'm throwing a baseball there's a moment in time where everything squeezes tight time stops and i produce this maximum output of force it's just very very brief and so we don't See these things because our, our eyes just, just can't stop time to, to recognize that. But we can see these things, we can measure these things in like force plates, and, and we can watch it on video and such. So, Ryan, everything becomes this this compression to expansion to compression. If we look at, at the, the universal principles, if you will, we can get really off the deep end here, and we can say that okay, space time has a very specific shape that looks like that and that's called a light cone because light behaves the same way time behaves the same way space the influence of gravity etc all play into this sort of expansion compression expansion Um, if you were if you're theoretically near a black hole you would probably recognize this shape as well Um, so again this is all theoretical physics stuff which is way above my pay grade but anyway it makes this a nice representation when we talk about our external rotation and and, and internal rotation representations of, of how we move. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna expand that, that point where I have the, the meeting of the two cones a little bit so I can show you where this internal rotation moment is. And now we can start to influence this. So now we're gonna to go to Andrew's question. So Andrew says, For someone who's looking to optimize performance or or hypertrophy, you say that there's often a trade-off that occurs between muscle hypertrophy and general movement capabilities, given the compression that is created with muscle hypertrophy. Um, However, I know you use bilateral squats, and I'm sure there's symmetrical exercise in your programs. Is the advantage of bilateral movements, simply that they're easier to standardize and teach, allowing for quicker learning and more accurate tracking, or am I missing something? Okay. So when we're using bilateral symmetrical activities, which, which are higher load, higher force capabilities, our goal is to increase that moment in time where we can produce force. And so, so as we add weight to the bar, as we're using these these bigger movements, our goal is to teach ourselves to to achieve that that element of maximum force output, maximum compression. And as long as we're increasing our force and it doesn't interfere with anything else, then then we've got a very, very useful strategy for training here. Now. The the, the byproduct of this, though, is I'm increasing compression, which slows down time. So it increases the duration that I am in this internally rotated force producing position. And so if, if by adding my ability to produce force requires that I increase the amount of time that I utilize that. So now I've extended this period. Where I'm, where I'm producing force and I actually slow down, where I actually reduce my velocity, where I needed velocity, I have now created interference. And and so that's when force production can become detrimental. It, it, it just simply interferes with our ability to, to represent that one moment in time where I have this maximum peak force output that has to occur very briefly. So, you know, if, if I was a golfer, and I extended the duration of the of the amount of force that I was I was trying to put out I actually slow down the the club head because what I want is I want that peak to be recognized at a very very brief moment in time um, that allows the highest possible force production. Um, If I have to reduce the field of external rotation that I have available to me, which is representative of of the amount of motion that I need to demonstrate ranges of motion or velocity, if I have to compress that to increase my force production, I have now again created an interference. So so bilateral symmetrical exercises are are well designed to increase my ability to produce a compressive strategy, which allows me to increase my, my peak forces at the right time. Um, Hypertrophy is a byproduct of that. Hypertrophy by itself, um, again, to develop any significant amount of hypertrophy, there's going to be some compressive strategies associated, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's interference. Um, So, again, the way that we figure this stuff out, um, uh, Andrew, is that we train people. And so we actually have to do things and we determine what is the best course of action. And so we have to have some form of key performance indicator that is going to allow us to determine whether we're on the right path or not. So if I'm trying to improve someone's acceleration, so let's say that I'm measuring their their their, their acceleration through a, a, a 10 meter um, sprint from, from a standing start, I take them into the gym, I train them, I bring them back and I retest retest that that 10 meter sprint and if that continues to improve then my strategy in the weight room is good and so if i'm using bilateral symmetrical activities to do that great but at some point in time and maybe it happens and maybe it doesn't at some point in time it can become interference the only way that you can tell whether this is going to happen is as you train them and again this is why we monitor key performance for friday Um, so this comes from jason and jason says uh, it's common sentiment that we hear in the industry there's certain muscle is tight because it's weak, particularly in reference to hamstrings, hip flexors, and shoulder extra rotators. Uh, how does this concept fit within the orientations and strategies of your model? Well, let's talk a little bit about, about the concept that, that you're, you're asking about first and foremost, and let's kind of figure out where that sort of comes from. And I think it it it's based on on what would be the typical structural reductionist model where people are taking physical properties. In the in the world around us and then trying to apply them to to humans um, for instance if you pull on a rope or stretch a leather belt or a rubber band you feel the tension and if your if your model of the world is based on these physical properties and you apply them to to, to humans then my perceptions are going to follow and so it's like we we compare muscles to, to tension and rubber bands even though that's not remotely true um, that might be where, where this kind of thing is, comes from. Knots in muscles is another one that, that sort of stands out in my mind. Muscles don't actually have knots in them. They might have contracted areas that become sensitive, um, but, but somebody called them knots at some point in time. It kind of caught on. It's a great metaphor. It's very useful for a, for a descriptor um, to describe a sensation. It's just not, not much of reality. Um, doesn't mean we don't feel, feel tension in tissues. So under circumstances of yielding actions, we, we certainly do feel that because load is always distributed into the connective tissues and, the, and that's a lot of what we perceive um, based, based on my model. So whether we have a concentrically-oriented muscle or an eccentrically-oriented muscle and we get to some end of, of excursion that is allowed under those circumstances and we do have the yielding action, that's definitely what we're going to feel. So if you've ever done a, a static stretch and you get that discomfort at the end of the stretch, that is that distribution of, of tension through the connective tissues that, that of course we're going to sense. Um, so again, that's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking, when we talk about tight, we're talking about a sensation. So, um, not necessarily a, a, a useful representation as far as decision-making is concerned until we identify joint position, muscle position, etc., cetera, and then we can determine what an intervention is. So this is a common mistake where people will say, oh, you feel tight. You need to stretch. When the reality is, it's like that tissue is already under tension under some circumstances, especially if I've got an eccentrically oriented muscle and a yielding action. It's like all you're trying to do is like you're just pull on something even harder than it's already getting pulled on. And it's already in, in an uh, eccentrically oriented position. It just becomes an exercise in futility when the reality is, is what we need to do under those circumstances is just restore the, the full excursion of movement under those circumstances, and then we feel nothing because we, under situations where we have full concentric, the eccentric orientation of, of muscles, which would be representative of a full breathing excursion or full joint motion, however you wanna perceive this, we feel nothing. The reason that, that there's such difficulty here is because when we're at this end game narrow situation, we have a tremendous amount of concentric orientation that that um uh, limits the hip mobility to such a degree that it's almost like we really don't have have anything available to work with in regards to positioning and so everything looks like it becomes a, a compensatory strategy and so let me show you what we're, what we're talking about we'll grab the pubs here um, so we'll start with our, our narrow isa presentation which is going to look something like that and remember Classic model, not perfect, but it'll give us a representation. So we're, we're kind of starting there. We get a lot of, of of concentric orientation in this in this posterior lower aspect to such a degree that it, it creates this push from behind and it sort of orients this ischial tuberosity in line with the femur. And so these these external rotation muscles actually start to pull the femur back inward. So so it's not just ER. You, you end up with this presentation that looks like they're they're. Uh, actually rotated, but adducted at, at the hip. And so when we talk about common findings, um, these are the people with the really, really horrible looking toe touches. And so, you know, they're the people that if they can get below their knees, they're pretty happy. Um, so we have extreme deficits in that. Um, hip abduction is very, very limited. So it's often 10, 20 degrees of hip abduction. Straight leg is very, straight leg raise is very limited. Many times um, we can throw some manual therapies at this and reduce some of that concentric orientation. Maybe that buys us a little bit of, of hip mobility that we can work with. But if we're going to rely on exercise, um, sometimes we can, we can maybe put them in the, into a prone situation and do something like that um, that will, will give us um, some of this eccentric orientation that we need in that posterior lower. But it tends to be a challenge. It, 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 it's, it's almost an exercise in futility in, in many cases. A lot, of, a lot of times what we have to actually do, if we have to, we have to start with some form of hip approximation activity. And so, so um, what we're talking about is creating a situation in the back of the pelvis that looks something like this. And so what we're doing is actually, we're inducing a very, very small amount of rotation through the pelvis through hip approximation. And so an activity will look something like that that you're seeing on screen right now. And what this starts to do is it starts to actually increase the amount of eccentric orientation in this reciprocal fashion. So we're creating uh, uh, almost like a really tiny variation of the gait cycle through this, this hip approximation. In many cases, um, we get really good results from this, and we actually pick up enough hip flexion that we can now start to move people towards some some activities like like maybe we do some hook lying. We continue to work on yielding and overcoming strategies in the, in this hook lying position, or we can move them into a sideline propulsive activity with an increasing degree. Uh, of hip flexion, and we can superimpose some reaching on top of that. So you got to remember that you've got this iteration that's going on in the thorax at the same time. So if we can superimpose some reaching on top of this this propulsive strategy, we get a much bigger bang. Um, one of the activities that's kind of off the beaten path is is actually this army crawling um, that, that we might want to do. So when we think about um, the posterior lower compressive strategy that's going to limit the degree of hip flexion in the traditional imaginary sagittal plane. Um, what we can do though is we can deviate the knee laterally and we can go get some extra rotation in that position. So that can actually help us um, increase the amount of eccentric orientation in this posterior lower strategy as well. So it's, it's, it's probably considered a developmental position for some of you depending on what your background is but we want to turn this into an army crawl this is also a great one for for kids with this scenario because they like to crawl around and pretend to be animals so a little fyi there if we move to a standing position, um, what we probably want to do, because we don't have a lot of hip excursion to start with, um, we're going to start with, a, with a, a very narrow stance chopping activity with a little bit of weight shift. And again, that's going to help us start to capture this, this little bit of rotation. And again, we're going to sort of move them through a gait cycle. We're going to go from, from one chop um, to the other in, in a, a reciprocal fashion to, to recapture this eccentric orientation. Once we start to gain some hip abduction, we gain a little bit of hip rotation back. Now we can move to a a, a bit of a a staggered stance, chopping activity, and then we can move into like a high-low cable press. Um, One of the things that I like to do at, at this point is I'll just call it sneaky arm training. So we'll actually have them do biceps and triceps activities, if you will. Um, But what we're going to do is going to be very particular about what stance they're performing these in and so again we get to reinforce what we're chasing um, with this concentric eccentric orientation in the posterior lower aspect um, while they get to do fun stuff if you will. as you start to gain hip motion, obviously now we can move into split stance activities. And ultimately what we wanna be able to do is move into a a deeper side split stance. And this would be indicative of the fact that we've got plenty of eccentric orientation at this point. And then eventually what you may wanna be able to do then is move to some form of toe touching, um, some kind of progression in that manner. And then ultimately that might be what you use as a maintenance strategy. So again, this is a really, really difficult scenario um, because of the degree of concentric orientation um, and, and the, the compressive strategy that, that goes on. Take your time. Be patient. You have to be very, very patient in the, in the in these scenarios. But again, work with what you have. Work within the constraints. Don't force. Don't drive comp- uh, compensatory strategies um, too hard because it just becomes a, a, a point of frustration. Jordan. Is Jordan still? There he is. Good morning, Bill. How are you, sir? <laughs> um my
1: question is regards to like the uh classic banded like you know internal external rotation that yeah sort of stuff. Love I, a, I, I, I love them <laughs> i got a couple questions first off that's a posterior compressive exercise right maybe
0: <laughs> okay so <laughs> hang on are you teaching it well or are you doing it like like the people that don't care
1: Oh, I don't, I, I'm going to say I teach it well. Okay. Just out
0: of my ego. So, so hang on. So let's use that one. Okay. All right. All right. Teach it to me really well.
1: I'm going to say from our past conversation, stay as still as possible in the thorax and try to... Really? Okay, go ahead. And then try to only move the shoulder <laughs> and arm.
0: Where do you want the humorous to be to create an ER representation on the side of the activity? Humorist to be. Where do they teach it? When they teach it right, correctly, when they teach it correctly, do they say, pin your humorous to your rib cage? No. What do they say?
1: Do like a the little towel.
0: Okay, what does that little towel do?
1: A little bit of abduction. Uh,
0: what what was that?
1: Uh, ER space.
0: So it moves it forward and away from the from the thorax, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Would that allow us to capture posterior lower expansion? Say yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So step one, we're golden. Okay. All right. And then, um, am I going to try to rotate through the humerus? Yes. Okay. Good. (laughs) Good. Okay. Do I want to pull the scapula towards the spine? No. <laughs> why would I, wa- why would I want to avoid that?
1: Cause that's the op- opposite of ER space. That's compressor. So,
0: so here's what's going to happen. If you allow that to, if, if you see somebody pulling their scapula towards the spine, here's sure. what's going to happen. You get posterior compression, which immediately takes away your ER space, right? It orients the glenohumeral joint into ER, but You're going to get an anterior and a posterior compressive strategy at the same time. Because as I pull the scapula back into retraction, the shoulder, the the whole shoulder girdle is moving closer and closer to the spine. For that to happen, I have to compress here and compress here at the same time. You just gave them a superficial compressive strategy. You oriented them into ER. They get no glenohumeral motion, which means I get no relative motion of the scapula. And you just wasted 30 minutes of physical therapy.
1: You see it? I okay because you, so, so, yeah.
0: So if you teach it well, you can actually use it to your advantage. It's a non provocative position that allows you access to relative motions that actually restore your ability to move. It isn't about rotator cuff strengthening as much as it is allowing the body to recapture its relative motions. Because frankly, a red, red theratubing is not going to really influence a tremendous amount of force production, but it is going to teach me to recapture relative motions. Do you see how if you do it right, it's very useful. But again, if you don't attend to the details, if you don't attend to the positions, it's not very helpful because I don't give a rat's patootie what the EMG activity says. What I care about is the positions. What I care about is is the, the intention and then the result. So if I do this correctly with someone, I should see my key performance indicators improve. So I should see improvement in my ER capabilities under those circumstances. Do you see why? Do you see why if you don't attend to the details, if I allow that scapula to compress the DR, yeah, I'm I'm pushing it out there, right? It's gonna point in that direction, but it has to point in that direction because I took away all the relative motion that I was trying to recapture in the first place, okay?
1: that makes a ton of sense. Wow.
0: Do you see the difference?
1: Yeah. And it you matters. always matters.
0: Yeah. It matters. Right. Mm-hmm. The scapula has to move, but it has to move in the right way. Mm-hmm. I have to have the right starting conditions. Otherwise I've immediately eliminated my ability to turn. Right. I have to have I have to have the posterior lower expansive capabilities, otherwise I can't I can't create the relative motion in the in the scapula relative to the humerus relative to the thorax, right?
1: Right. You always see it like going through like the as an aid and stuff. You always see everyone's telling them to pinch back and whatnot. And now I'm like, oh wow, okay.
0: Your scapula can be friends, but they shouldn't meet. <laughs> okay. Seriously. I mean, unless that's what you want. Like if you're trying to create an anterior and posterior compressive strategy for force production, by all means, pull your shoulder blades back. That's cool. Right. If you're doing it, if you're doing it, if you're a power lifter and you're doing a heavy low bar back squat, pinch those suckers together. So you get AP compression. So you can lift more weight. Okay. If I'm trying to restore motion. Right. So, so here you go. Let me offer you this. Um, If you teach that rubber band exercise that we were just talking about incorrectly, and your goal is to restore shoulder girdle range of motion so the insurance company will pay you To and you're trying to show progress, you just created a strategy, a superficial strategy that interferes with, with range of motion. And you wonder why you can't recapture your ERs and IRs. Well, it's because you're teaching it wrong. We become our own interference, Yeah. right? By not paying attention to the details as to where this motion should occur how it occurs that's kind of important so now we got to fall back on our representative model so if you're if you're a lever and pulley person maybe you can sneak away with it if you if you execute it well by accident right right but if you understand where the shape needs to be now you have an advantage
1: that makes sense cuz like half the time sometimes it works sometimes you don't it's always like i never understood why but now i do
0: does matter, it does matter. So now you understand it's like, what color TheraBand do you need to use there, Jordan? It's like the one that allows the relative motions to occur if that's the goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if we, if we just ballpark it into strengthening and we say, oh, look, you can do your sideline extra rotations with 15 pounds today and you, you only use 12 yesterday, right? And they say, well, then that's better, uh, wrong KPI if relative motion is the goal. And under most circumstances, that's why people have discomfort is because they don't have enough relative motion.
1: Uh, Thank you, that was um, really helpful. I have a follow up to that, that's okay. Uh, I know we got a few people. I'll wait around, put me to the back, I'm good.
0: Okay, all right. Thank you for falling on your sword. I appreciate that. Uh,
2: Can we just take that exercise up to 90 and see how that changes?
0: What's the what's the difference?
2: The, the, because you've you've now moved into more of an IR space at 90, but you're externally rotating. Like how is? Okay, well, like, wait a minute. Are you, you closing?
0: Hang on, hang on, boss. Hang on, boss. Okay. You're okay. So so you you have moved the shoulder uh, no, you, away from midline.
2: I got yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Hang on. You've yeah. got upward. You you've got you've got some upward rotation. So so you're not mm-hmm. getting. So you're not getting full dorsal rostral expansion, but you are getting part of it, okay? okay. So remember that if, if you looked at the structure, um, if you look at the structure there, you've got oblique angled muscle fiber, you've got horizontal angled muscle fiber, and so you're going to affect them differently because they pull in different directions, right? And so, so you're actually gonna create the, the oblique orientation of the scapula under those circumstances. So the ER down by your side and the ER up here are affecting this the scap orientation in two different ways. Do you see the difference?
2: Yeah, it's like the amount of time that we go through like beginning of baseball season with all the guys reteaching these is
0: astronomical. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I I would use them rarely. I, I would say never. I just don't spend a lot of time with it because when you when you once you start to recapture the the relative motions proximally and then you start to get the normal scapular motions, then you tend to not have to worry about this too much, right? So, again, if I compress here or I create a position that creates compression superficially, you just created the restriction in ranges of motion. So, when you have to reteach those kids when they come back, it's probably because they've been doing a lot of pulling and pushing and stuff like that on their own, right? So, they're doing a lot of this and a lot of that,
2: right? Yeah. So, you're just like trying to take that stuff out of a. A baseball player's pre-throwing routine is basically impossible from a from a team standpoint. So it's like, okay, as long as we're going to do it, let's do it as effectively as possible.
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. I tell you what, Matt. First thing I would do is I would I would have the the most minimal of of tension, mm-hmm. because yeah. because they're used to high tension, thinking more more tension is good, high pressure is good, when the reality is is what you're trying to do is you're trying to recapture relative motions, which They gotta be able to breathe. They gotta be able to move through it and they need the relative motions available to them. So so I would just, I would, you ever see the yellow TheraBand or TheraTubing that's like spaghetti, you know? It's like, hey, start there. Seriously, just start there. Just teach them the positions again. This is a straight, plane representation problem. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, man, that's really good. All right, time is short. We gotta dig right into today's Q&A, which comes off of yesterday's Coffee and Coaches conference call, which was another stellar outing. Um, We had a great time, we went about two hours. The cool thing about yesterday's call is that we broke down a bunch of exercises. I think we spent 30 minutes looking at different types of influences of of arm bars. Um, I really like exercises and activities that you can use in multiple situations and just tweaking cues and, and, and subtle changes in the influence can produce different outcomes. So we can use it across many different presentations when we're working with clients or, or patients. The uh, cross-connect activities is another one that, it, that I use quite a bit. So there's a lot of interest in that. And Cameron brought up a, a question on the call, as you'll see, um, that we just basically started to break this thing down as to you know how can we alter some of these cues to get different outcomes, what we should expect under certain circumstances. Um, so again, I think you're going to find this this very very useful. I would also suggest you go to the YouTube channel. There's a there's a video where I sort of break down some of the coaching cues um, more specifically on there. Um, if you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com askbillhartman at gmail.com, and put 15 minute consultation in the subject line of your email so i don't delete it and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience um let's see what else uh podcast will be up on sunday so you can get the whole review there so you can listen to that while you work and if you have any other questions again go to askbillhartman at i will see you guys next week have a great weekend
2: all right I have a couple of four instance situations of the supine cross connect, which I think we're kind of answered or sort of given a little bit of clarity already from Max and Dick's questions, but so say if we have someone, um, all right, so say if they're narrow ISA and they're on an oblique angle and they're really far into that space time where they're pushed really far forward. So they present with like max P on both sides. Okay. Yeah. So wait, wait, so you're yeah. in max
0: P or you're you're in late?
2: Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, late.
0: Okay, cuz cuz the
2: cuz the sacral position's different. Yeah, I yeah, I, I I'm i at late. Okay. All right. <laughs> um or so I think I do. Um so let's say if they uh, let's say they have their left foot on the wall. Yep. And we're trying to get that kind of um, that initial um so early propulsive foot stance and we're trying to get pressure on the inside of, of the foot. Yes, sir. So I think this has kind of been answered at this point, but I guess I just wanted to go over it in this situation. So as they go to bring that, that right leg forward and they're bringing it to the midline. Yes, sir. So like uh, when we go to reach with that, or or I think we are still reaching with that left elbow to that right thigh. Yes. Because it's staying like below that that like 60 degrees or so you got it and then i guess i guess now i I, sorry if i'm answering myself i guess i just want to see if if i was kind of right after all the questions that went by and it's kind of helping because they're in supine so now their sacrum is already kind of facing forward at that point so or maybe more like in a in a nutated situation gosh dang it all right (laughs) i thought i understood it
0: um, oh, yeah. Okay, so let me help you, let me help you, okay. If you were walking, hmm. all right, and you landed with your left foot forward, mm-hmm. in early propulsion, mm-hmm. okay, early, right. what direction is the sacrum facing?
2: Uh, when you first hit the ground at that point to the right? You're,
0: you're, you're, this is the moment the first metatarsal head and the heel are on the ground together. So, so it's, the, it's the very beginning of, of early propulsion. What direction is the sacrum facing?
2: Uh, is it facing to the right beginning to turn left?
0: Okay. So let's, let's take the last part of your statement out.
2: Okay. It's facing, facing to the
0: right. right. Okay. okay. And then I'm beginning to yield. Okay. That's where I'm starting to yield. But yeah. it's not. It's not facing straight up.
2: Ew, It's facing. Ew, the
0: it's still to the right, isn't it? Right. I'm. What I'm doing though is I'm creating the. De- I'm. I'm. I'm initiating the delay that I need on that side. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't turn right away. I have Ooh. to create that. Okay.
2: Okay. You understand? Yeah. I'm. I'm with you as so much as I can be I'm, I'm good right now because <laughs> they're because they're not he's not
0: rolling that way yet mm. so we can't turn that way right right I'm creating the potential so I'm creating the, the relative I'm creating the, the position of the pelvis where I can capture relative motions gotcha okay
2: okay you, you, you follow yep yeah I'm good okay What,
0: so, so here's, and so this is, this is a straight plane representation problem, right? Because Mm. people want to look at this line, okay? Instead of looking at what's going on from a relative standpoint. Mm. Is, is the, is the sacrum moving in a, a, in the leftward turn relative to where it was before? Yes, via the yielding action of the connective tissues based on the position, right? right. If I was if I was using the zero line, is it facing forward? No. Hmm. It can't, right? I'm not letting it because but I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to create the relative motion position that I can use to create the turn that I'm going to produce.
2: Oh. Oh. See the difference? Yeah. Yeah, so you're like setting the stage to start creating. I have
0: to create the condition. So you heard me say, I was talking to Max. It's like, what are the initial conditions? Okay, what position did we start from? Right? Gotcha. Okay, so I have somebody that's laying on the table. If I'm doing Mm -hmm. this on supine, I'm doing this in supine. I have somebody that's laying there that's already getting shoved from behind on the left.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay? I have to create the conditions that allow all this internal stuff to start moving in that direction.
2: Gotcha. Right? So when we're pressing, so like in terms of the foot that's on the wall, like are we, like, are, is there like, so it's not a very hard push into the wall in that case then, is it? It's early. Yeah.
0: It's just early. So how okay. hard is that relative to max P?
2: Not very hard.
0: It's not, no, but you need the foot contacts otherwise, so roll to the pinky toe side of your foot in the same circumstance mm. what's going to happen the sacrum is going to face straight up isn't it mm. but it's not going to be relative motion is it
2: no it's just going to be a, the whole orientation
0: yeah yeah so i create a relative motion at the
2: ankle at- right like we're just talking about the elbow and
0: yeah, exactly. It's exactly. You're exactly right. I'm yeah. creating relative motion at the ankle. So if I need to, if I need to, to teach somebody how to get an inversion ankle sprain, solid, right? That's a great yeah. way to do it.
2: Uh, so say if we were to switch it to the other side, like like if we were to now switch feet. In that case, yes. Go, keep going. You got it. So now I'm going to. So now I'm gonna put more force into the wall on that yeah. right foot. Yeah. Yeah. start to well, I guess to start to set up my max to set up my early P on the other side.
0: Yeah. Okay. So so now here's the really cool part mm-hmm. is when I when I push on the wall with my right foot, mm-hmm. okay, and I drive the right elbow. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually be able to capture more of the turn, aren't I?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: So, so what sequence do I want to teach a supine cross connect under most circumstances?
2: Well, now I'm, I would have said, if you'd asked me before today, I would have said, start with the left, but it seems then put the left foot on the wall. Just to set the foot up and then to use the right to push myself a little further into it i suppose
0: correct correct okay yes
2: and then the the arm let's say if it's still i guess if we go back to the left foot on the wall yep is the so i guess the the intensity of my of my uh of my reach from my left arm to my right thigh so I guess in this situation, it, it, it wouldn't be a very, because that whole left side needs to start to yield. So it's not going to be a like a very aggressive reach at that point then.
0: Right. You
2: and wanna, then. You want to try? You want to try? Yes, of course I do.
0: <laughs> when you've got the left foot on the wall, mm-hmm. cue them to drive the right knee harder. When you've got the right foot on the wall, cue them to drive the right elbow harder. i can remember
2: that awesome and i think and then it's
0: sneaky it's and it, and it makes it's it's a very small adjustment it's a very mm-hmm. small adjustment but, but it will it will prevent so so sometimes when you um and again a lot of it has to do with how you set this thing up to make sure that that they're not driving because you can, they will try to drive late propulsion on the left side when the left foot's on the wall Right. That, that's what they're going to try to do. Right. OK. If I drive the right knee just a little bit harder, even if they're using a compensatory strategy to get there, the compensatory strategy turns them to the left. As long as I capture my left foot cues, as long as I capture the left foot cues, I can't it, it'll stop them from orienting.